Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Clotho, at Clotho Spindle on Twitter, and tonight I'm joined with Kama. Hi, I'm Kama, and I'm pretty sure I'm at Oxford Splice on Twitter, maybe. <laughs> and Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I am at the Chikrin on Twitter. Okay, and we're going to be discussing Brand's sixth chapter in A Feast for Crows, uh, the usual trigger warnings for rape and violence, as well as any potential spoilers. Um, so we'll just jump right in, and Septon Maribald leads Brienne, Pod, and Hyle through the receding tides across the mudflats to the Quiet Isle. It's named for the penitents who dwell there, who have taken a vow of silence, and only the elder brother and his proctors may speak, and the proctors are limited to one day a week. Uh, when they arrive, they are met by Brother Narbert after he... L- after he finds out that Brienne is searching for the hound in the salt pans, he suggests that they all go see the elder brother. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of, we get a little hints here of different things going on, and they stop at the stable to leave their animals, and they see a beautiful black stallion, but it seems kind of angry, he's kicking a stall door, and they're told that he had bitten off Brother Gillum's ear while it was being gelded. Which, you know, Kyle makes a comment that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a reasonable thing to do if you're being gelded. But um, they continue on their way and they pass a novice digging a grave for Brother Clement, who was killed at the salt pans. And we have um, a subreddit uh, question right here that I thought would fit in this area. Um, Does Brianne's note to herself that the path of faith was a crooked one have any meaning for her own journey, literally or metaphorically? I used to teach English, and I still can't tell when good writing is good writing slash world building or when it's foreshadowing. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. That kind of stood out. But, I mean, it was, you know, it's a beautiful yeah. setting. You never really know until after the fact to see <laughs> if it's going to be foreshadowing or not. I mean, it's kind of a retrospective thing, but it could be. I mean, who knows? George George likes to lay it both ways, so who knows? I think you could read it like that. It's like her journey is twisty turny and it's it's like it's not a straight path. I mean I don't know if that's metaphor or not. But. Maybe George is saying, Bear with me with Brienne's story. <laughs> and, and I do you know, it's I always feel torn because it was such it's just gorgeous writing and I really felt like I was there walking out and they have, we have marshes around here, so it felt very real to me. But then I'm thinking, Oh my god, he just went on on like like several paragraphs about very details about birds and this and that. Like I was thinking if he just cut some of this stuff, that might make things go a little faster. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is one of those Brienne chapters. I think this chapter could have very easily been sewn to her last chapter yeah. with no real loss of anything, probably. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. You know, you get the the world building. I mean, it all sounds cool. You know, yeah. this on San Michel or St. Michael's Mount thing that you've got going on yeah, with the yeah. quiet aisle. It seems cool. <laughs> And then, of course, we get all this stuff with Stranger, who's very obviously Stranger. Well, they later on say it's Stranger, and then obviously we know that this is Sander, the gravedigger. Yeah, yeah, because Clearance Unicorn also put this, uh, obviously Sander is the gravedigger, they say. Um, Do you think he'll ever leave the Quiet Isle, or is GRRM life, is the life of atonement for him? Uh, I think he's he's going to leave. 100%. 
I mean, if the show confirmed any fucking thing, it's number one, yes, the gravedigger is Sander, and number two, yes, he's definitely still part of the story. Elder brother could give his little head shake as he's leaving. <laughs> no. Oh. Well, I think it's, I mean, I remember reading this at the time, you know, before the show even was a, well, actually, the show was definitely a thing already, but I mean, it, it reads like they're in their own little yeah. Literally their own little island. The war has stayed away and they've got this sort of defense thing going on. But I think at some point it's going to touch them and, you know, either he's going to leave because it touches them or, you know, he's going to have to do, I don't know, the Maria Von Trapp thing and, you know, go out and, you know, complete his journey. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering well, how they could get out because especially if there's all those, you know, to say it's quicksand or whatever else is supposed to be going on. Like, I don't know how they could, an army wouldn't be able, maybe a couple people could get over there. Well, I know a lot of people think that Jamie and Brienne will end up back at the Quiet Isle and I'm pretty famous for saying I, I don't think they're actually going to be the ones who end up there. I think it'll be someone else, but I'm pretty sure we're going to see this this island again why bother with all of this if yeah not? that is true he really flushes it out he really does and it will be it's a you know it's a perfect place it's just like you know just like the area people can go there you know you feel like there's some sort of safety there you know because of the difficulty oh yeah, it is nice how it does. You as a reader really feel like you've entered kind of a, a little moment of calm that yes. you need. You know, <laughs> I know it's nice not to have to worry about something just flying out of nowhere, like shooting you. Yeah. Chest. <laughs> What's the other possibility? He's giving you a breath. He's allowing you that safe space to go. Okay, I can calm down now. I can kind of take it in. Yeah. Yeah, it's clearly a, a palate cleanser before what's about to come. At least, especially for Brienne's story. <laughs> and uh. Narbert has led them to a door in the hill. It's called the Hermit's Hole. It's said to be 2,000 years old, dating back to the first holy man that settled there. Um, when they enter, Brienne is surprised that the elder brothers, um, at, the, at his looks, um, he kind of stand, stands straight and tall. He looks to be in his prime. You know, she was kind of imagining somebody old and, you know, probably just shriveled looking. <laughs> she thinks he looks more like a man that would break bones and rather than heal them. Uh, he greets them, and when Brienne comments on the unique driftwood cups, like, the whole room sounds really cool. It sounds like they just kind of, you know, they, they mentioned that they polished the driftwood until it's shining like gold and all these different shapes. Well, this seems like a hobbit hole, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't this seem... <laughs> it sounds like, almost like something you see, like, in Ikea or something. I can just picture kind of really zen-looking things. <laughs> and it, to me, it, it reads a lot like the, the the opening scene of The Hobbit, the actual book. You know, I don't know if it's the opening opening, but you know, like when mm-hmm. when everybody's meeting up, but oh, what's yeah, his face is out. Hermit's Hole, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, did he like take a tour of like a monastery, like maybe the place where they make Benedictine or something, and somehow that kind of... I mean, I'm sure he probably went to Mont Saint-Michel, uh, would be yeah. my guess. Yeah. I've never been there. I've yeah. been to St. Michael's Mount, but I've never been to Mont Saint-Michel. I think that's probably what it is meant to be, though. Yeah, that seems really close if you imagine it in your mind's eye. Uh, And after sort of that tips off a conversation about all the objects that they find, both natural and unnatural, things that washed ashore. And they talk about, you know, of course, the driftwood and wool and corpses and even six rubies. And they're kind of like, you know, they say, Rhaegar's rubies. And, you know, we're waiting on the seventh. And 
Um, after that, they eat a meal at the septory, and uh, you know they kind of get the feeling that it's like comfort food. Heart, it just seems so great, you know, nice and relaxing. Heart music, and they're reading from the seven pointed star in the background. Um, yeah, so uh, we got wax paper door um, also from the subreddit. Uh, said GRRM spends a bit of time describing the elder brother, firstly through other people and then through Brienne's observation of him. Do you think he was a person of some significance in recent Westerosi history, or is he making the elder brother stand out because we will see him again? Or did he just have to space to fill on the page? And then she put, or they, they put, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I think it's the last one. <laughs> I think it's probably the middle one. I suspect he probably is someone of, I don't think he's Rhaegar. I know that that was a really popular theory for a while he's gary and, and lannister there we go no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think he's i don't think he's i you know it's george throws in about um Rhaegar's rubies washing up on the quiet aisle and then you look in the background and somebody's like see it's it's Rhaegar. he's there teaching people how to play the harp and all this stuff and it's like i don't know i don't know if george may have wanted you to wonder that he might have but <laughs> i don't think it's Rhaegar. sounds too old doesn't sound like he looks like Rhaegar at all Oh, I didn't even think about that, that he put a heart player there. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think George might have deliberately wanted people to suspect it. Like a like a red herring kind of deal or Or just him fucking with us, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got another comment from Sir Bonifer um about Sir Quincy. And they put a quote here. He could have died young or old, a true knight is sworn to protect those weaker than himself or die in the attempt. Um, this thought Brienne has about Sir Quincy sends a chill down my spine. I can't quite say why, but since my first contact with the show, I've been convinced Brienne would live to the end. This sentence is the first time I've wondered whether my instinct is wrong. Please tell me I'm wrong, and this passage is just foreshadowing of Brienne's near-death experience with Biter and the gang at the inn. Yeah, I think this is about her no chance and no choice, um, personally. Um, everything that she hears about salt pans is clearly, you know, the group of guys she's going to meet when she gets to the end and um, it's her deciding ahead of time, you know, what her choice would be. And then her having to live that out after getting this kind of crisis moment where she could have turned away. This is all very hero's journey, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, 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 I still am going to stand by. I'm, I'm pretty sure Brienne is going to make it out of the whole series alive. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. Quincy is the guy who shut his doors and what like everyone was getting killed and raped outside. Yeah. yeah. At salt pans. He's the Lord there. And he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't come out and protect his people. People. And they describe like a pretty gruesome rape and, you know, a mutilation. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, which is, I'm talking about foreshadowing. This is yeah. foreshadowing of what yeah. Brian is going to face. And, yeah. um, uh, God, Fucking biter, all of oh, them. Fucking all so, of them. So I mean, he just created such foul, like these really ugh, hideous. He was. He got interviewed on NPR, like a couple days ago, and he talked a little bit, not about biter, obviously, but about like he brought up like some of the criticisms people have about you know the violence and the rape and stuff in his books, and he again made the case for you know this is this is what happens in war, but. It's there's just always so much of it and there's so much detail that it's like, yeah, you know, I get that every war, like he said, every war has had, you know, raping and pillaging and he's not wrong. But at the same time, it's like 
uh, did you have to go into quite so much, you yeah. know, specificity? Like the because fi- didn't he file his teeth? Like that kind of stuff is next level. You know what I mean? That's kind of like um, psychopath. Like that's just really like extra gory. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean I'll, I'm sure stuff like that has happened, but uh, yeah. I, well, I, I, it's the same as his argument. It's like. Sure, it happens in war. A lot of things happen in war. We don't necessarily cram them all into a book series. <laughs> I mean, yes, like exactly. you can't and you probably shouldn't. You should probably let things breathe and you should probably, if you do bring up really salacious and awful things that have happened in real life, you should probably give them the gravity that they deserve. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying George never does. Um, I'm saying he does get a little bit offhanded with rape and I don't think he should. I, yeah, I think for, there's a little tone in there. Mm. And, and I mean, I get so tired of every other character being like, I don't know, a walking compilation of the DSM. You know, it's it, yeah. the it's like every every other character seems to be a psychopath, and it's like you know, I'd almost rather see a few more of those. There was that other guy who like. I can't remember which chapter. It's been so long since I've been on podcast. But, you know, they're like the kind of guys who go off to war. They're horrible. They do whatever. And then they go home and they're your next door neighbor. You know, I. Longshanks, Walton. Yeah. yeah. That's the guy I'm thinking yeah. of. As opposed to the Jeffrey Dahmers of West Yeah, Ross. exactly. Yeah, the kind of cannibalism and that kind of stuff is a little bit yeah, over yeah. the top. And then we move <laughs> as we move into after they finish eating. Pod asks to stay with Brienne, but I Nar- love that so much. Yeah, I know it was so sweet. And like, I mean, how Pod's only what like eleven or twelve, right? He's 12, twelve, possibly thirteen. Yeah, that just seems. And I don't think he harsh. met any. I think he was yeah. just like trying to be loyal and oh, no, probably he, he a just, little scared. And yeah. yeah, I think he's scared. I think he's he trusts Brienne and he wants to be with her. You know, who can blame him? And I don't know, he seems kind of slight. Like, I don't picture him as looking, you know, some kids might look mature for their age. I don't picture him that way, so I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah, I just want to say, in case anybody is listening to this who hasn't actually read the books, Podrick on the show and Podrick in the books are oh, yeah. two completely oh, different. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't say completely different, but Podrick in the books is very much a child, and in every way a child, and innocent like a child, and... Yeah. Dear God, <laughs> not like they, they did with... I still like show Podrick, but yeah. uh, no. <laughs> no brothels, no magic cock, none of that. <laughs> no, he's... Know. he just wants some company, and he wants to be near somebody he trusts. Yeah, but they won't let him. So he goes with Hi- well, he goes with Hyle, right? I didn't notate that, but I think that's who he. Um, yeah, he does. And because uh, he tells him, Narbert tells them only married. You know, the biggest point of pointing that out: only married men and women. Uh, can sleep in the same room. Which is why it's in like half the canon Jamie can fix that exists. They get them back to the quiet aisle and force them to get married. Oh, I know. It's so perfect. <laughs> That's why it's there. <laughs> How could you miss that opportunity to add that in? Um, elder brother, he leads her to uh, small cottages. They call them cottages, but they sound almost like huts. Like little, they, call, they liken them to sort of beehive shape. Um, and uh, he, he, as he walks over there, he tells her about the destruction of the salt pans and asks what she hopes to find there. You know, he's trying to feel out what's going on. And she responds, a high-born maid of three and ten with a fair face and auburn hair. And he immediately calls it out. You know, he softly says, Sansa Stark. Um, you know, he knows. And he asks if she believes that Sansa is with the Hound. 
Uh, she says she does. And when they enter the cottage, he's, he's like, you know, we need to talk. And he tells her um, that he's certain that Arya and not Sansa Stark was with the Hound at the end of the crossroads and that the Hound is dead. And Bran is shocked at the news and he kind of describes how he came upon him, upon him wounded the trident, attempted to save him, but it was too late. Um, he buried him and he regrets it, but he left the helm upon the grave. And uh, Bran's, you know, remarks that it sounds as if he pitied the Hound and the elder b- brother responds, um, I'll read this a little bit right here. I did. You would have pitied him, pitied him as well. If you had seen him at the end, I came upon him by the trident, drawn by his cries of pain. He begged me for the gift of mercy, but I am sworn not to kill again. Instead, I bathed his fevered brow with river water and gave him wine to drink and a poultice for his wound. But my efforts were too little and too late. The hound died there in my arms. You may have seen a big black stallion in our stables. That was, that was his warhorse stranger, a blasphemous name. We prefer to call him Driftwood, as he was found beside the river. I fear he has his former's master, former master's nature. And you kind of, immediately after that, Brian's like, okay, this you know, it, that reads like accurate. She saw the horse, it, you know, he's dead. She comes to terms with that. Um. Well, I like how throughout this chapter, it's been threaded in that Brienne is very much hunting for Sander. And you see from the beginning kind of, you know, strange reactions as she's saying this, you know, like I'm hunting, I'm hunting for the hound and all this stuff. Um, Cause obviously they're hiding Sander. <laughs> I'll yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, you have you have the elder brother who, I, I mean, like, is clearly trying to honor her quest in a way because he he's he's not necessarily, you know, he does discourage her, but he he's he's certainly being helpful to her as well. And he's like, let me clear up some of your misconceptions here. It wasn't Sansa that that Sander had and it's not Sander that's actually doing all this stuff. It's somebody possibly worse. And um it's just kind of really cool. It's cool when George does this, when he has people kind of, um, well, this isn't really an interaction per se, but kind of bump into each other that you don't expect. I love it when he does it. I mean, like you wouldn't necessarily expect Brienne to run into Sander in this way. And it's just so cool the way that it is set up. I wish I wish the show had been cool enough to kind of do it like this instead of the ham-fisted way that they did it, but whatever. And I like that. I mean, even though he's obviously covering for him, I like that in a lot of ways, it's honest. He doesn't, like, beat around the bush. He doesn't, like, just straight up not tell her any of this. I like that he lays it all out. Okay, that it was It's, it's all oh, very yeah. Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's all very much, you know, uh, the man you seek is no... I mean, it's all very much, like, I'm not really lying to you, but I'm kind of lying to you, and... Yeah. <laughs> and I like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good bit here, um... Um, the elder brother shares his, he goes on to share his background story. He was once a knight. Um, and he uses the terminology. I, you know, kind of another clue here too, because he said, I died in the battle of the trident. Um, he explains he was not in the river. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much you have to be hit over the head with this. I mean, it's kind of like. <laughs> I don't know. And people still doubt it. I don't know. Oh, that's crazy. Even after the show, you know, it's like we've got all this. <laughs> um <laughs> He said he was knocked into the river and he should have drowned, but he woke up on the quiet aisle. Somebody had stripped him naked and it's sort of his reading his rebirth. Like he came into a second life and spent the next 10 years in silence. Um, he implores her to give up her quest and return to her home. He tells her that her father would rather have a living daughter than a shattered shield. Uh, and I'm going to go read this. It's kind of the end part here, but it's, you know, Brian's moving reply. Um, a daughter, Brienne's eyes filled with tears. He deserves that. A daughter who could sing to him and grace his halls and bear him grandsons. He deserves a son, too, a strong and gallant son to bring honor to his name. 
Galadin drowned when I was four and he was eight, though. And Alisane and Arianne died still in the cradle. I'm the only child the gods let him keep. The freakish one, not fit to be a son or daughter. All of it came pouring out of Brienne then, like black blood from a wound, like betray- betrayals and betrothals. Red Ronnet and his rose, Lord Renly dancing with her, the wager for her maidenhead, the bitter tears she shed the night her king wed Marjorie Tyrell, the melee at Bitterbridge, the rainbow cloak that she had been so proud of, the shadow in the king's pavilion, Renly dying in her arms, Riveron and Lady Catelyn, the voyage down the trident, doling Jamie in the woods, the bloody mummers, Jamie crying, sapphires, Jamie the tub at Harrenhal with steam rising from his body, the taste of Vargo Hote's blood when she bit down in his ear, the bear pit, Jamie leaping down onto the sand, the long ride to King Ting's Landing, Sansa Stark, the vow she'd sworn to Jamie, the vow she'd sworn to Catelyn, Oathkeeper, Duskendale, Maidenpool, Nimble Dick, and Cracklaw, and the whispers, the men she'd killed. I have to find her, she finished. There are others looking, all wanting to capture her, to sell her to the queen. I have to find her first. I promise, Jamie. Oathkeeper, he named the sword. I have to try to save her or die in the attempt. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> we got Why is Brienne just too good for this world? Like, oh, God. Oh, She's it's... so perfect. <sighs> so earnest about this, too. And I love that she got a chance to do this. She's so quiet. She so keeps things so to herself. I mean, it, it's really... <laughs> God. It must have, like, been so difficult for her, but so releasing. Well, I love, I love, the, I love the way that George kind of paints the word picture of it, too, like saying it's black blood from a wound. I mean, this is very much a confession, almost. You know, she's just letting everything hang out, and you get so much. And as a Jamie Brienne shipper, man, I say, it's really nice because she just kind of like lays out her side of almost everything that happened between them in storm. Um, you know, you get kind of just more little hints about what she felt in the, <laughs> in the Heron hall bathhouse, but you also get the thing of, you know, Jamie landing on the sand and the bear pit, just these little details that are dear God, so good and really paint a picture for, for you of like what, her relationship with him means to her what he means to her, which of course is setting us up for more heartbreak later too. I know, and, and as you think about this, if you were him and we as the readers see her say, like, no one would have someone express these things to, to them and think, oh, this person's just a friend. Like, so, like what the heck? <laughs> oh. Talk about how can you deny something? Dear God, how could you deny that she's so much in love with Jamie at this point? My God. Yeah, because I mean, look at how many times his name is. If you if you heard to hear someone talk and then you're okay, this is the person she keeps mentioning over and over again here. Yeah, and it's like she's talking about Renly, who she is openly admitted to being in love yes. with, and everyone else knew she was in love with, and yet Renly doesn't come up Just nearly as much as Jamie. <laughs> yeah, a couple mentions. And um, uh, Clearance Unicorn from the JB subreddit, you know, talked about this. She said, how great is Brienne's speech to the elder brother on a scale of really great to totally great? Do you think that the to have to be married to stay under the same roof on the quiet aisle details foreshadowing a Jamie and Brienne marriage or a marriage between someone else? Or is it just cool random world building? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I don't know. Could go either way. It, it very well may come up. I I just kind of doubt it's going to be Jamie and Brienne, and um, I know that doesn't make me very popular <laughs> in fandom. 
Uh, and we got Sir Bonifer has another um, comment on Brienne's speech. I am the only child that uh, this is and this is what I sort of read earlier, but they're commenting on that particular part where they said the freakish one not fit to be a son or a daughter. Um, Brienne is breaking my heart. Her thought here is close paraphrasing, I'm sorry, rephrasing of what Randall Tarley said to her a couple of chapters ago. It shows how, though she may repeat words are wind to herself, Brienne takes into heart all the cruel things people say to her. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, clearly, clearly she's learned to kind of cope and live with the horrible things people say and the awful ways that people look at her. But I mean, like, it's not that she doesn't feel it and it isn't you know, the pain isn't staying with her because clearly it is. Cause yes, it does come out at these, these weak moments like this. Oh God, Brienne. Uh, it's so hard to be a Brienne fan. <laughs> oh, God. I'm looking at my notes and I wrote my heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah. It's, it's deep stuff, man. And, uh, do we have, I think we have a few more pieces of mail, right? We do. Um, Waxed Paper Door from the subreddit wrote, One of the reasons that Brienne 6 is probably my favorite overall Brienne chapter is because there is no immediate threat of rape towards her. I know Salt Pans is mentioned, but I've, the Quiet Isle feels like a pa- place of safety in a world gone mad. So it's kind of like what we were talking about. and Totally. Mm-hmm. And again, I just want to say, like, I really... I appreciate that kind of moment of, okay, we can breathe now, you know? Um, Oh, and Sir Bonifer wrote us and wrote, writes, dear ladies and occasional gents, I'm so excited that you'll be continuing this podcast for the foreseeable future. It's the perfect way for all of us new book readers to get deep into the story from the beginning. Thank you so much. You make my Tuesdays amazing. Um, And he also wrote, yeah, isn't that nice? Um, he also wrote, also particularly for Guile. So, Guile, if you're listening, this one's for you. Mm-hmm. I'm sad how down you are on my dude Bonifer, but of course I'm not going to be burning your cardboard effigy. That's the way of the red god, heathens. I will just be. Pl- <laughs> oh, I think praying. that was me, not Guile. Oh, maybe. that was me. It's easy to get our our voices confused. That was sorry. That was me. That was chicken. Uh, well, and anyways, he goes on to say. Um, I, I will just be praying for the crone to lift her lamp and guide you to the truth of Bonifer's <laughs> awesomeness. <laughs> and um, I don't know if we've read this before, but just because I saw it, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't have it in me to go through every episode to make sure we didn't read it. I'm going to read this and if I've read it before, so be it. Mm-hmm. But we got a five-star iTunes review from Louie and Pippa. And they write, um, their subject line is highly knowledgeable. And they say, such a great podcast. This is the only thing that got me through season eight. I'm so glad they're keeping it going. Keep up the excellent content. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is it for our mail. Okay. Awesome. Uh, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com on Tumblr at close the door and come here at Tumblr.com. You can submit questions on the pre-show threads via the Jamie Brand subreddit. Or follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast and, you know, submit a comment there. Uh, please like, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen. And please support us on Patreon at Close the Door. Um, closing the door. Get out. <laughs>